Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Creative Insider podcast number 70 with me, Georgi Leshtarsky. On podcast number 70, uh, which is another special episode for me, I had a big honor to have on the Bulgarian architect Rosica Bratkova. Rosica has co-founded in 2004 together with her husband, Plamen, the highly rewarded architectural studio based in Sofia, Edes. Their work is characterized by a pioneering design that results in unique forms which are in high contrast to the post-communist context of Bulgaria. Their projects are recognized with multiple awards. They have won six times Building of the Year in Bulgaria. They have received a Silver Design Award in Milan and have been part of the Ms. van der Rohe selection. In Osica podcast, we talk through how his journey, how this journey has started, how it arrived at, it, at this point and how Rosica organized now her day between three kids, the studio and her PhD work, which she's currently working on and also teaching at the university. So it was very interesting. Um, I met her personally in Sofia a few months ago and it was a real pleasure, real honor. Uh, I'm very thankful that she accepted the invitation and then she decided to share the story of their office and the story of an office from a country like Bulgaria, which it's not so um, much known about. But before we start the conversation, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and I want to remind you that if you want, you can support us. Uh, you can do that for free by subscribing to our podcast, sharing it with your friends, following our social media channels, which are at TCI Podcast on Instagram and The Creative Insider on LinkedIn. Um, now you can also help us make a better production of this podcast by supporting us on Patreon with five bucks a month. You can receive in advance the name of our guests and submit a question that we might ask. So please do consider doing this and thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the conversation with Rosica Bratkova. The whole world stops just like that. Hello, Rosica, how are you? I'm fine. Hi, Georgi. Thank you very much. I'm pretty fine. Uh, finally, we managed to do this interview. Uh, I'm very happy to have you and very excited to have you for this conversation because um, as I have told you this summer, uh, not summer, but in May when we met for the first time in Bulgaria when I was there, um, I've been following somehow indirectly your work. Uh, and I've been always curious to discover who stands behind these uh, beautiful buildings around Sofia. And um, my first uh, experience was with the um, urban module, I think it's called, uh, the high rise you have made. And then after a few years, I discovered Jacqueline and uh, the Red Apple building in Sofia. And uh, I was always curious to, to discover 
who is behind those buildings and to broadcast it. And finally, I have a podcast to do that internationally. So I'm super excited. Um, but you can introduce yourself a little bit to, for the people who are listening um, with your own words. Thank you very much, Georgi, for this uh, for this introduction. Uh, I'm very excited. Also, it was uh, it was very interesting for me and and curious when you when you sent the first email when when we met uh, here in Sofia. We had a very very nice talk. It was very long, and I I uh, didn't notice it actually that we we had a meeting for two hours by by the way uh so uh we have our studio for 15 years now and uh we're trying to to make everything we do in the best possible way and it sounds quite easy but actually it's very difficult uh to keep up like that but i think we're getting used to uh so yes we like things to be difficult for us and uh, that's part of the game i'm i'm curious uh, what is what is the name of the studio means because um um it's common it's a common name there are other studios and other offices in the world that are called the same so what is what does it mean uh, it means a lot of things it it's a latin word uh well, it's a bit funny the story, but uh, I will be I will be quite honest. Uh, so when when we were looking for a name, uh, we wanted it to be something international, not Bulgarian word, and uh, we we took the the Greek dictionary, ancient Greek, and the the Latin dictionary, and because we couldn't read Greek, we I still don't know the Greek letters. Uh, so we chose the Latin dictionary, and there we just found the word edis. And uh, later I, I found out that there are a lot of edis, uh, because it means, it means temple, it means home, house, beehive, uh, tom. So we thought that actually it means everything that uh, architecture is. Uh, so and it sounded very very nice we like the way it sounds and uh it starts with a it's also important a yeah the first letter and also as architecture and um but you are the the edes uh, studio in sofia so i think the it's the only one in sofia but with each guest, with each guest of of the podcast, I'm very curious, you know, to to discover really the the person and um, the individual behind the um, creative production. Because in all the magazines and books we read, you read more about um, the what people do, but not about who uh, is behind those uh, buildings and designs, why they do what they do, and how they do it. So my first question is, um, was there a precise moment in your life, in your younghood or in your childhood when you for the first time realized you could become a professional uh, creative, in your case, professional architect? Is it because it's within your family or, or how did it happen? I think for me, for me, it was a long process. Uh, it took several years because... I was 
searching for myself what I I want to become when I grow up. Uh, so I, I cannot say that I've always wanted to be an architect. In a way, I discovered that profession uh, when I was ninth or tenth uh, grade at school. Uh, so my father, uh, he wanted to become an architect, but he couldn't. Uh, so he was on one side uh, who supported me very much. And then uh, there was uh, my teacher in school. He was our arts teacher. And uh, and he was very, very keen about uh, me becoming an architect. So uh, both of them gave me the idea and I started thinking about it and, and I really liked it. But it took me about a year probably until I, I realized that I really, I want to try at least. So that was in your high school time, I, I guess. Yeah. Yes, exactly. In the middle of high school. And, and then I uh, did you um, go for an education at the uh, Sofian Architecture University or... Uh, and um, I know it's very hard to get in, in in Bulgaria. So what was your preparation for the test? Actually, it was very hard, especially those years. It was very difficult. And... Uh, I was preparing about one year, uh, so mathematics was maths was really difficult, and we had three exams in in drawing, uh, three different exams. So they all uh, it it all took one year of preparation. Uh, then it became even harder, and uh, the guys after me they had to prepare for two years and now things are really different because uh, well i'm not happy to say it but uh, very few people want to become architects at least in bulgaria they either go abroad or um, or they choose something else so for girls it's a bit more difficult but for the boys uh, there are less candidates than than the places so it's very sad but uh, but that's the truth now when i was uh, when i was younger it was much difficult what do you mean for for a girl it's it's hard to to get in and they are i mean they are not uh, they are less uh, male candidates and why for the girls it's um, har harder you meant it's now harder to get in <laughs> Uh, because, because yes, exactly, because there are, uh, for instance, 12 female candidates and two male candidates. That's why it's, it's more difficult, because uh, there are more. How many spots, and how many spots there are a year? Equally, equally. Uh, I mean, equally male and female. I don't know how many exactly. There were 50 when I was 50 for girls and 50 for boys, uh, I think they're the same now, more or less, 50 or 60, something like that. But I think it's, is it like really like the, the spots are split? They have 50 spots a year for guys and 50 for girls? Because in all the other, I, I studied in Rome and then I studied in Frankfurt and there is there are just 300 spots, whoever gets them. Yes, uh, 
Exactly. There are 50 for girls and 50 for boys or whatever the number is, but uh, it goes like that. And it goes from the high school. Uh, in high school, it is the same. There is an equal number for, for girls and boys. They tried for one year or something like that for the language high schools in, in Bulgaria. They tried just numbers and there were classes that year they had for instance two boys and then 20 24 girls and they refused they gave up uh i don't know why it is like that in in universities but some some kind of equality i don't know yeah that's that's, <laughs> that's the way it is that's interesting i was uh, i'm surprised to hear that i didn't know that although it's uh, about, <laughs> it's bulgaria uh, and uh, and um, in your case, uh, did you get in from the first try or there were multiple tries? No, no, just the first try, the first try. I get, I got in the first try and uh, yeah, in five years and a half, I became an architect after, uh, yeah, it was really difficult these five years, uh, especially the, the middle ones. <laughs> Yeah, I I can relate to that. And like um, you said, you you were sort of supported by your teacher at high school and by your father, if I'm not uh, wrong. Um, so you didn't know exactly like what it's gonna be like when you got into university. Did you have anything? Was it a different expectation from what you imagined before getting in? How it's the world of architecture and how was your education? Uh, did you have any surprise between what you imagined and what it actually was? I think yes, simply because I I didn't actually know because until you're in you don't you don't really know. Uh, so I I was being surprised all the time, but. Uh, uh, they were really pleasant surprises. I felt like Alice in Wonderland. And I remember very well in the first year when we started with the first, uh, with the first tasks, uh, I felt like this is the thing I've always wanted to do, but I never thought it was a job. It could be a job. It could only be for fun. So that was the, the way I felt. Uh, when I when I started discovering architecture and, and the things we we did at the university, uh, and I think yeah, it's it's still the same for me now. When I when I think about that, it's it's fun. It's fun. And uh, what was your relationship with the teachers? I always ask this this question because uh, when I studied myself in Rome, uh, there the teachers are usually some um, high position, highly positioned architects. For example, one of my teacher was the main architect of uh, the Vatican City, so he was responsible for the uh, Vatican City complexes and buildings. Uh, and we had several like this figure and, you know, the, the relationship, they were very distant from us. They were like just teaching us, but they didn't have any personal relationship and then when i moved to germany here they were very very uh open and i don't know in, in the end of every every semester you end up drinking beer with your teacher in the in the school cafeteria 
for the semester closing uh, they do a little exposition with all the projects what was your relationship in in uh, with your teachers and i know now you're on the other side where you teach um students um so how is also do your relationship with your students uh well first with the teachers uh of course there are different teachers but uh, we had a very, very nice, uh, nice architect. Uh, his name was Tanko Serafimov. Uh, he's gone now, sadly. But uh, he was really an, an amazing person. And, and we had several teachers who were really, really amazing. Uh, and uh, we were very close, especially with him, uh, but with most of them uh for various reasons but also in the very first year of my um in my first university year uh, there were very big political protests in bulgaria that was uh, in the year of 97 1997 and uh, all the students all the universities were outside on the street and that um uh, that architect our teacher he was he was making sandwiches because um it was a very a very deep uh, economic crisis very deep uh, my my mother worked she's a doctor she worked in a hospital for for five dollars uh monthly so it was everything was very expensive and so on so he was making sandwiches in his in the in the room that we had at the university so we were protesting then we went back to the university and and he he was he has already done the sandwiches made them uh for us so yeah it was i have really really beautiful memories from that time and then uh when we all graduated he had that um that tradition of inviting all of his students uh to his home for a big party uh so we had uh, we had nice relationships with our teachers uh another one uh Georgi Stanishev, uh I, I have, I'm, yeah, I have uh, close contact with him right now, and uh, he's my uh, professor in in my um, study, the the things that I do now for the university. So he's helping with me with my uh, scientific work, uh, because as you mentioned, I'm teaching myself now. Uh, I still feel new in that and I'm discovering and uh, I'm trying to be close with the students, but uh, it is not always working in the best way. I mean, sometimes uh, it depends it depends on the student. Sometimes if you if you become very close with somebody, you're not helping him because uh, he starts making uh, worse projects just uh, just because he thinks you're friends and then that's okay that we meet just uh, to have a coffee and to have a chat and and so on so there is there must be a balance yeah there is this dichotomy of being close but also not too friendly because without any pressure there are no gems you know like mm. <laughs> uh, it, when people start taking it too easy um 
it's uh, not good for for the creative work um what i'm also curious is like um i i've as i told you uh, um 97 98 99 i think was the years when my dad left the country and uh because of those economical or that economical crisis and i left the country in the 2000s and then i grew up in italy and then i i started teaching uh, studying uh, at school and then a university and then uh, what i got taught it was something uh, like also history of architecture i've never um, we never studied something really about um the soviet bloc the communist uh, architecture a part of a few projects and i'm curious how i'm always curious because your office is in my opinion the best the the best office in bulgaria and what kind of education was that in the 90s when the whole country was transitioning from the post-communism time to the western <laughs> so <laughs> what was your back how did they taught you architecture what were your references what were what was your when where did you got the first inspirations towards architecture what were your archetypes and your models in your education in a country that was transitioning it was very young in the transition even from mm -hmm. communist country to a democratic country well probably because of that of that transition we were only looking to the west and uh, we were absolutely not interested in anything that um, that was happening that has happened in the eastern bloc uh, absolutely not interested in uh, in the constructivist movement even though we we studied them of course but because uh, kind of we lived in in, in such kind of a uh, environment more or less uh, so we were really really interesting about uh, what's going on in the west and in the far east i mean in, in japan uh, and we were watching a lot of magazines because uh, there was no internet at that time it's it, it sounds really strange and i myself cannot imagine how it was possible <laughs> but uh, yeah for us there was no internet uh, then so we we watched a lot of magazines in the library in the university library and uh, i think that was most of the of the inspiration we went to a lot of movies uh there were cinemas all over the city and and at that time that transitional period we also for for a short period of time there was a cinema in the aula maxima at our university and and they um we could we could watch their european cinema not not just blockbusters uh, but really nice movies mm, really high quality cinema and uh, and it was nice because after you finish your your work at the university you just go to the to the owl maxima and uh, go to the movie <laughs> and um so you so you went through through these five years of um of architecture school you graduated uh so my question here is um how did your transition from the academic world to the professional world happen 
and in these five years what was your core idea or core value about architecture that you had built for yourself to start working mm. well the the idea the the value i think it uh, kind of appeared later uh, through the years in a certain at a certain moment we kind of looked back and realized that we have reached uh, something that is probably the beginning of our identity something that um, that has started to repeat in our projects and it, it was like we discovered that uh, we have come to that but uh, in the university it was very important for me for my entire life uh, that i met my future husband Puamen. Uh, it was in the first year that at, at those protests in 97 and uh, i always knew that uh, we are going to have our office uh, so we had the chance we were really lucky to to graduate at that time i i, I graduated 2002 yes um and so the time was probably because of the transition because of our luck or whatever so we were able to work for uh one or two years for somebody else and then and then we started our own studio and we started with a very big building it was the Jacqueline building our first one which for a very long period of time was the biggest of our buildings uh, it was 20,000, uh, sorry, 2,000 square meters. No, 20,000. I'm not okay with numbers. Sorry, 20,000 square meters. And, uh, and then it became our biggest success abroad because uh, it became uh, part of the selection of Ms. van der Rohe. It was the first and until now the only Bulgarian project that... Uh, became part of this selection and uh, we spoke about the name because we we're at a studio with A we were <laughs> first in the list while Zaha had it uh, they were at the bottom <laughs> uh, yeah uh, so yeah I lost my thought <laughs> no so you were mentioning that you you've always knew that you're gonna start your office um mm. and that was your but did you start directly the office or did you first work somewhere after uh, graduation to because in bulgaria also you have to have some practice before you can get your license for an architecture office right at that time not yet because of the transition there were no licenses when we graduated so we could start from the very beginning we graduated as architects fully grown so to say but uh, of course we we started uh, i worked for the uh he was chief architect in the, somewhere in the sea uh then he became the chief architect of sofia later so i i worked for him for half a year or maybe one year until i graduated i was still a student at that time and when i graduated i i quit with that office and i started uh, with another one they were family friends 
a big group of architects who are very close friends with my parents. Uh, actually, most of them are here in, right now on that island, uh, somewhere around. Uh, so I worked with them for, I don't know, maybe two years. And Plamen was working with, uh, with a group of young architects, as young as him. And they were all uh, studying together from each other, learning from each other. Uh, and then we, at, at some point, we just uh, started, the two of us. And um, how did you come up with the, how do you come up with these names for the projects? Because all the projects, when people go on your website, um, they have um, they have names. Like I mentioned that we have the urban model, we have the Jacqueline, we have the Red Apple. So how do you come up with these names? Uh, these three buildings, uh, they are by uh, the same uh, the same investor, the same client, and uh, he has this uh, this tradition of giving names to his buildings. So we work together in this. And uh, as we started with Jacqueline, I, I I think I mentioned that. Uh, so on our website, we uh, continue to give names or letters or just something to the to the project but that with the names it was his idea of the client uh, we are an office that works with very few clients uh, probably it's difficult for people to work with us <laughs> I don't know uh, so it's it's difficult and it's easy at the same time because uh, yeah it has it has pros and cons working with the same people but are the names uh, pure marketing names generated by the investor or you think about what could be the meaning behind it and then you create them? Uh, Jacqueline was entirely his idea. Uh, probably we were very young at that time and, and he was not uh, ready to trust us enough. Uh, but but uh, the other names, uh, I think we, we worked together on them. Uh, we still call the urban module, we call it urban module, and he calls it urban model, but uh, for us it's module. And uh, why Why is Red Apple? I'm really curious about that one, because that building, it's like a, a triangular building and it's uh, out of yeah red bricks. <laughs> Uh, I thought it's like an apple where there are a lot of people living inside because it has a lot of uh, like openings in the facade. Uh, might look like uh, that. Uh, like worms. Yeah, like that. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But in a cozy way, I don't know. <laughs> no, the story is different. Um, because of the bricks. So we, we started with, with bricks uh, and... Uh, and then we added the the metal, the, the these metal grids, the the balconies, and so on. And uh, when it was almost ready, there were pictures everywhere, and so on, and people were talking about it. And uh, everybody was saying that uh, this building is uh, very much New York style. I don't know, probably because of the bricks, because of the metal, and uh, so because New York is the big apple, this building was more or less red because of the bricks, so it became red apple. 
okay but my imagination started working in the wrong direction then before you said something that your client in the beginning wasn't uh, you know you were young and the the, the client couldn't trust you completely 100 percent um when you two guys started the office and you were just starting the as young architects how did you manage to get this this first client uh, that it's uh, apparently also a big investor <clears throat> because building a, a this kind of buildings here requires a lot of money how did you acquire this first client because um that's that's always a very crucial moment in a studio uh history because without a built building it's always very hard to get the first client because you cannot show anything that you have built and nobody can exactly. trust you so how did you manage to do this i think there is always uh, always a very big percentage of chance in, in these things and uh, we had a, a very um a very good chance in that uh, because uh because at that time that client he was looking for a new architect he was working with a with a name an architect who has who has his name already at that time had had his name and um and he decided to start with somebody else with somebody new and uh, a colleague of Plamen's Uh, she worked for that client in his office and uh, she told him that Plemen was really a very, very good architect uh, when she knew him at the university. So he called us and yeah, and things went on. So it was, I think it was chance, but before that it was a lot of work for the sake of of the work of architecture because you, you do something you do it in your best possible way and sooner or later it turns out that uh, it was for something else in your life uh, probably 10 years later you discover that uh, you spend hours and hours on something which was not probably very important or, or it turned out to be uh, useless at, at some at that point and and later uh you realize that it was it was really precious so i i understood that anything you do uh you do it for yourself no matter what it is and and sooner or later it, it turns back to you yeah a lot a lot of the guests have said similar similar sentences like yours right now and i always um quote my grandma she says you have to work for your luck <laughs> so <laughs> so you have to be uh preparing for that moment when the the occasion comes because um i've always also loved this um anecdote about picasso where he was daddling something on a um, napkin in barcelona and one lady saw what he was daddling and she said oh i love your napkin could i could i take it and he told her <laughs> could i he told her yeah you can take it for ten thousand dollars she was like what you were just doodling and he was like yes but to do these doodles in in my free time i needed to study uh to study my whole life so basically it's something similar you have put a lot of effort and work and and then the right occasion came and you you took it um 
what what was your workflow in that time at the office where you're just the two of you and how has it developed through years well when we when we made the office the two of us uh, and and then came the first uh, the, the first project which was as i told you the the biggest one for a very long long period uh, so we had to to find other people to work with uh, because also our first son was born uh, something about someone about that time and uh, it became even more difficult so we needed other people to help and to work together with uh, it was a long very long way so we started the office, the two of us, but uh, we actually never had been just the two of us. But did you have some uh, architect friends from your community with which you collaborated or did you have like interns from the university because you're still very tied both to the university because I know you, you, you both teach there. Um, where do you get your work? Where did you get work, your workforce? And how is the setup of the office now and compared to back in the beginning? At first, we started with, uh, of course, with friends, uh, with, with people from our community because we have just graduated and uh, yeah, it was abs absolutely normal to, to start working with friends. And, uh, but yeah, through the years, the first years, we realized that we are either friends or uh, we are colleagues. So it, we we couldn't continue working together and, and be friends at the office at the same time, probably because we were the same age. And uh, actually the office was uh, done by the two of us. So we, we established the office uh, and they were friends and colleagues, but... Uh, they could come and go anytime and uh, then we grew up now now there is a difference <laughs> between me and, and the youngest uh, colleague at the office uh, more than 20 years so uh, in a way now it's easier for us and people come from the university of course from our university uh, but also a lot of people come from from abroad, from other universities in Europe. And uh, I think the office is an interesting place right now because uh, people from from all over Europe, from different universities, uh, share thoughts and, uh, and their way of education uh, in their university. So it's, it's nice. To have uh, to have such experience, and, um, and it's, it, sorry, it's also very very nice and easy to work with younger people. In in which way? I think they're more open uh, because they they're curious. Uh, this is very important. I think I think curiosity keeps you young even when you're older. <laughs> Uh, and they're ready to learn because if you think you know everything, you, it's useless. You, you cannot learn anything new. And I've asked you before, 
uh, how is your relationship with your students? Uh, what is the real relationship that you try to create at the office? I mean, um, how many how many people you are and what kind of structure you have? Because also you guys are the founders and the owners of the office, but um, I guess that does include also a lot of side work as not only architecture, but a lot of management. Uh, in in the process, it has been a lot of work in building the the structures for the office, so to say, the so that you can include these new people in a team to work in a structured way. So how do you try to, how what is the relationship that you have created in the office and what is the, do you have some sort of hierarchy like under you, there are some project managers or is it a flat hierarchy? How do you try to organize the, the office? Uh, we decided to, uh several years ago we decided that we do not want to to grow too much as an office uh, because if we grow too much we cannot control things uh, i mean we cannot control the project uh, so we decided that uh, we found out that there is a limit of uh, not more than 10 people in the office and uh, right now we have six six people mm, me i'm not at the office at that at that moment but with plumbing there are seven and as we are a little small team uh, we used to be to have three other colleagues uh, some years ago as we are a small team uh, we have a, a flat hierarchy with uh, the, the two of us above and uh, everyone is, is is doing everything i mean when we have a big project and and we have the the deadline we're all working on that project and we do anything that has to be done so that it will be finished on time and i cannot say that uh, there are people who do this and, and that and of course some are better in uh in one thing another one is better than another but uh, we're trying to to change tasks and so that everyone does everything and uh, people they are responsible for for some projects each each of, of the six uh, but actually the two of us are responsible for all the projects so that's the, the hierarchy and uh, um, I, by having such a small team how many projects a time can you take care of? Like how many projects do you have on the on the plate uh, every time you are constructing <laughs> something? Uh, well, there are too many, really too many, but uh, there are long projects, projects which are, are sleeping like a winter sleep for a very long period and, and now and then something happens and you just uh, send an email or something like that so all of them the sleeping the, the, the yeah uh, the frozen and so on all of them are about 20 at a time uh, big and small but the big ones are about uh, four or five not more than that yeah, but and how many of those are awakened <laughs> of the big ones? Uh, I mean, yeah, the the, the awakened big ones. They are uh, not more than four or five. 
okay that's still quite a lot um and by by having such a now you have a big portfolio like as i mentioned you i mentioned just three uh, of the buildings but there are more than that that you can see around and as i was discovering your work it was funny because i would see a building then i would go to your website and i'll be like ah this is also from them um do you you have now a very strong brand in the field in bulgaria um do you still do you have you ever had the um need to participate in any kind of architectural competitions or how do you, or you acquire this this project now just through your brand because now you're very much um also a quality so to say a quality signature because um uh, there are a lot of quality buildings that have been realized so do you get only assignments directly from clients or do you also need to participate in some sort of competitions uh so competitions is very is a very tough topic in bulgaria because because actually there are no architectural competitions um there were through the years one or two but uh, always something goes wrong and uh, probably the only one which was uh, the way it should be it was for a metro station 20 it was an international competition there were 130 participants from all over Europe or the world, I don't remember. There was uh, uh, the British uh, studio that won the project. And I mean, Taha. And uh, nothing happened. It, yeah, then it was uh, something completely different was done on that, on that, on that, for that metro station. Uh, by someone absolutely unknown, uh, actually by the by the building company and and so so it's uh, well there are no real architectural competitions. Um, there was a certain period, probably five six years ago, when it was kind of fashionable that uh, clients organized private competitions, closed competitions between five, six studios, and they invited us. They always invited us. They always invited the same five or six studios. Uh, so we, we know each other. We talk to each other. We met at these competitions. And uh, yeah, it, actually, we won the Red Apple that way. But they also never work because uh, the Red Apple client was our client before. So he actually, he liked what we were doing. It was just, uh, it was fashionable to make a competition. But I think he knew from the start that he liked what we do and what not what the, the other colleague that he invited. He didn't like his architecture and he still doesn't. And in all these competitions that we took part in, uh, it was the same the same story. They usually had one uh, design. They more or less liked it or disliked it. But in the end, they again chose the same design or the project that was closest to that design. And we decided to not participate anymore in such competitions. And besides that, we had really a lot, a lot to do. 
Well, but do you think that this completely unexisting system of competitions, uh, it's one of the reasons that not anymore a lot of people want to become architects in Bulgaria because also if you don't have a strong client behind you that supports the project that you want to do, uh, you won't you want be able to practice the, the job And also in Bulgaria, I've also interviewed several people now from there that the business for Arquivis and for CG graphics, it's stronger currently because people can do with easy investment and very low risk, quite good money by working for international clients. So is this maybe also like this a little bit closed system of the architecture market that it's stopping the next generations of becoming professional architects? I don't think this is the reason uh, that is stopping them. Uh, probably this is stopping uh, Bulgaria from having really uh, good quality of architecture. Uh, that's the, the biggest problem. Uh, why young people don't want to become architects? Um, you're right about that. That uh, when they make 3D graphics or cinema productions, they make money quite easily. And, um, and for young people, this is really important. Uh, I wouldn't say it's good or bad, I'm, I'm not going to moralize, but uh, this is really important for them. And uh, if you become an architect, it's not that easy to, to make money from the start. It, it's not easy. <laughs> it's never easy, actually. And I'm also curious about the architectural process in general in Bulgaria because I, I work in Germany. And um, here in Germany, the way the architects are getting paid, it's pretty much um, very clear because we have a huge law of the compensation of an architect which explains like for each so to say the building process is um, subdivided in phases and for each phase your client has to pay a certain percent of the building um, expenses how is in bulgaria regulated and how did you regulate yourself in the beginning when you didn't have any clue how much money should you charge for a big project or for a small project and um, how how is the market regulated for uh, pricing the work of an architect? Uh, well, there is the market, you said it. Uh, so the market is regulating. This is the, the first and the, the foremost regulator. Uh, you mentioned Germany. We're always trying to, here in Bulgaria, uh, we're trying to... Uh, to be as Germany, to, to uh, yeah, we always say in Germany it's that way, and in Bulgaria it's it's much worse. Uh, but <laughs> we actually uh, never uh, can make such regulations as in Germany. I don't I don't believe they're really necessary. So uh, I'm trying to say that we are much different than the Germans, even though we are always trying to. to to take them as example uh, so we 
we don't feel very comfortable with having a lot of regulations because I myself don't feel comfortable because every project is absolutely different, especially when when we talk about uh, interior design, about um, furnishing and, and, and so on. So it depends on what the client wants. Sometimes uh, when we when we talk about a private project, a house uh, with interior design, the client knows exactly what he, he or she wants and it's quite easy. Uh, there are other cases when they say, no, 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 it's, it's going to be very, very um, fast project, just something very easy as, as a design and then it continues for years and years and years again and again and uh, it's very difficult to say how much a design will cost uh, especially with smaller with smaller projects uh, with the big ones it's easier because uh, you know that you're going to work on a project for five or six years and you know that uh, it's going to take a certain resource. So with, with the big ones, it's easier. Uh, but you cannot have just big projects. Uh, no, it's it's funny because, um, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Uh, just here, the, the regulations are meant um, in a way that... Uh, so the idea behind these regulations, they're meant for bigger projects, like for projects like, for example uh urban module or the the one we have mentioned the big one uh, and they try to to protect the quality of the project so they what they because also in bulgaria maybe it wouldn't work because as you said the market is not also so huge you know, like five six studios here the market is on a very different uh proportion so they through this through this regulation which i have seen here i've seen in italy too they try to put a certain minimum amount of money that uh, architects need to have so that the quality of the design won't drop because the fear is that um, one studio can take three, five people and do offer a very low budget uh, for the project and do a very bad job. And through that, the quality of the architecture will go down. And this is the regulation. But I think also that it's fascinating, as you mentioned, that you do this big scale project and also these very small projects that uh, you could you can do because you have this very small flexible structure of a studio itself because here in germany for example the office where i work it's uh, above 100 employees so we cannot do uh, flats we do the whole flat building <laughs> we don't do interior design unless it's some friend of the boss maybe but uh, also in that case will be couple of million of euros house or something like that so i don't know uh so it's it's i think it's very interesting to to see that your office does this big project but works as a as a workshop so to say of uh, these 10 people maximum and um what is uh what is the workflow that you have uh, to create these ideas these design ideas so for example you receive this task for uh, um let's say residential block or something um do you have is you and plumman that does the main of the design work and then the other put it in place so do you have a little brainstorming with the team and uh, then how do you follow the different steps of the project to make it buildable 
Um, well, if I have to be honest, uh, we are not very democratic in the first uh, phases of the project, uh, actually. So it's it's usually Plamen and me, of course. Uh, of course, we are the entire office uh, working together. But uh, uh, in the very first steps, we are we are the two of us. Uh, and then and then of course everybody uh, takes their their responsibilities and and continues uh but yeah what what you're asking i think we're we're the first ones and what is your your process of ideas do you start with uh just pure design i don't know subtracting or uh adding some pieces of this form or do you do a deep research first of the surroundings because uh, uh, I think one very remarkable thing uh, which um, one of my assistants at the at the university in Rome told me is like never be fascinated so much by architects like Zaha did or or Libeskin or because they are brands they do uh they do they they sort of this high-end clothes like you want to wear an armani so it needs to look a certain way and the real quality architects they will do something completely um unique each time and this is what i can say about your project because if we take the three pictures separately of or four pictures of your of your projects they you cannot really say that they've been done by the same person they might be but they're not for sure uh, so what is uh, really the practical design process to come up with these ideas? Do you start with research or do you start just trying around? The, what is, you tell me. Uh, yeah, of course, we start with research of the place and uh, with uh, a lot of conversations with the client. Uh, this is very important because uh, for a building to be to be built, it's important that the client and the architect work very much closely together and they they understand each other so it's very important to know what the client likes so that you can offer him something that he will accept and and this something will be the way you offer it the way you you us make architecture and uh so it's funny what you're saying about uh, the, the difference between our buildings because uh, we realized at a certain point that uh, behind all of our projects there are the same the same rules that that organize them uh, we always uh, create kind of open structures of open um, structures of multitudes uh, like for instance there is uh, this Jacqueline building with the kind of boxes and uh, there is this play between order and chaos of the boxes and it seems as though they could be moving uh, and this is just one of the many possible states of, of these boxes so this principle of a possible variation uh, I think is a lot of a lot of freedom and a lot of sense of individuality and openness to each project. So this is a very important principle which uh, 
it is in the in the urban model as well uh because uh there is this this movement of the of the different floors uh there is the strict orders of the columns and and the openings between them and, but then uh there is the the variation of the floors themselves and there is, there are certain bugs in the system and they exist in every building uh then in the red apple there is the very strict order of the of the bricks and the the openings uh but then there are the bigger openings there are missing openings again there is this bug in the system so it seems like you look at the building and you see that there is a, a very straight principle but then there are principles which uh, break the first the main principle uh so we we create a first let's say a main set of principles principles for for the building and then we start uh, creating other principles to break the first ones uh, so that we have order and and the sense of, of freedom or chaos or individuality yeah in each building i can i can see that there are the same principles behind each project but then the project develops in a different direction because every time the materials, the colors, the shapes um, changes. They're not, um, I don't know, if I see uh, Libeskin or yeah, Zadid itself, you can really say it's that kind of architecture and that's not, not your case. Um, and I'm curious, um, how, how do you, like, what is the process? Okay, you, you come up with the idea with the design, which in the beginning it's very rough design and then you need to go in the in the detail. And I guess that also creating this, um, as you said, these open systems which have variations and then in the system there is also a bug that it's something that, for example, I'm always, always comparing it to Germany, that our clients and we as an office we wouldn't um, we wouldn't allow it ourselves because uh, it's more an industry approach uh, it would mean that there won't be a regular floor which means it will be there will be needing i don't know 20 people to develop each floor um, how do you how do you organize this um, then the project in such a small team like how long usually it takes from a project to develop and if the times are tight, does it involve very long hours in the office? Maybe, I don't know, I'm curious how do you approach it? Because here, if we come up with this idea, we could come up with these ideas, but our clients would be like, this is crazy. I'm not going to build this because also the clients are very educated and, and so on. So I'm curious, how do you make it then from this first idea that you have the process to make it buildable with such a small team and how is the work organized? Well, <laughs> I have to confess it's not very well organized, but uh, what what bothers us uh, mostly is not uh, the the uniqueness of the floors, which is true, as you said, there are no uh, two floors absolutely alike, but uh, because because more or less we we know how things are working and and. Uh, when you when you start doing it, you have the principles, and it it goes fast. 
But then comes the client and he says, well, no, no, I don't like this, exactly this thing here. So please change it. But of course, he has no idea that when you change one thing, you actually always change the entire building and it, it's never easy. Uh, probably this is one of the reasons why we we create we started creating these open structures because whatever you change in that structure, it still works. I mean, it doesn't ruin the concept. If it's an open structure and it, it, it could be always moving, that's the main idea, then you can change anything in it and because of the client, because something is expensive, because you always change things because uh, of constructive reasons or uh, the fire department or whatever. But when we have these open structures, we can change things and still keep the concept uh, intact. And about and, the, uh, the, the the working hours resources, have you get gotten better through years to 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 manage your working hours? Because also when I met you, for me was um, the the first shock when I met you wasn't anything else that you had uh, one ten year old kid, or I think, or nine, or I don't know how old. And then you had a a, a, a kid in a stroller. And then you tell me, ah, my third kid is somewhere around with friends because he's a teenager. So I was like, damn, that's a... <laughs> and she's an architect. I was like, you're teaching at university and uh, you said now you're not so present in the office, but I'm curious, how do you manage to do all of this? Yeah, sometimes I myself am curious as well, but I think we architects are thieves of time and so we always steal time from 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 something else uh, so we we've stolen time for our kids uh and we we steal time from for our projects and we steal time for for the students for the university but it all make makes fun and actually i i like to feel free and uh I don't want uh, to have this very strict schedule for my day. Uh, whenever I, I go to the office, um, I like the day to be different, every day to be different and, and to do different things. Uh, like this interview, for instance, there are a lot of things like that which totally change the, the, the everyday boredom of, of the usual office work. Um, so there is time. I think when when things are interesting, you always find find time. And I also think that the colleagues at the office uh, they are keen about what we are all doing together. And this uh, so this uh, keenness for the work for for the things you do and and the results uh, and this amazing feeling of. Uh, see the building that you have designed that you have drawn for for months and years you see it uh, better than it was in your computer in all the treaties i think this is amazing and and this is more important than anything else uh, that uh, the usual office work could offer uh, but of course, not everyone is uh, suitable for our office and our office is not suitable for all kinds of, of tasks. And so, yeah. 
and um you mentioned uh the the the, the 3d and the computer part um oh, every time i go to your uh, website which a few years ago has changed a, bit, a little bit with a new with a new label um i'm also very uh, very always imp impressed by the representation of the projects uh, by the drawing side what kind of tools uh, do you use in the office for realizing these uh, projects do you use some beam system or are you still like old school 2d autocad with uh, i don't know do you do your 3d and visualization in-house or do you do you outsource it how is the making of things working what is the workflow in that direction well, we are old timers and, and we work with AutoCAD because it can do anything, actually. It can do the, the most uh, complicated detail and uh, yeah, there is, there is no such thing as uh, you can't do this in AutoCAD. You can do anything in AutoCAD. Uh, of course, it's, it, it takes a lot of time uh, for the 3Ds. Uh, we make them at the office to to work with the models and sometimes uh, when they're for the client we outsource them to uh, to a 3d company that uh, make them really shiny i see uh well i think that uh, the limitations of um of the other softwares is that they're more yeah, they require more complexity to generate what you can generate in AutoCAD. And and as you said, you're, it's more like um, an atelier office instead of an industry office. So you're not like producing this, uh, this big mass of, of buildings. And um, I'm curious also, do you think that your side work now at the university as a teacher, and also I know you're working on PhD, um, is it this... Um, different kind of work helping you to get better result as an architectural designer in your office work? I'm not sure. I, I cannot say actually. Uh, but I wanted to become a teacher because uh, because at a certain moment you you have gained uh, so much experience in professional experience that you you want to share it with the with the younger people and uh, yeah at that point i think more or less i i became a teacher uh, because i wanted to share what i know about architecture and, and because i saw that uh, that in most cases architecture was not done in the proper ways uh, as I think it should be done. And also, uh, very often in the university, students are taught some things which, in my opinion, are not uh, are not the right things. Uh, it's very difficult to say what is the right thing, but uh, this is exactly what I'm trying to avoid. When somebody says, you cannot do it that way, you should do it this way because this is the way you make, this is the recipe, this is so on. So. This is something I've always trying to avoid uh, with with the students because each one has to, to find their own way. I'm just trying to help them with uh, finding their way. 
I think uh, you you can set up uh, your uh, teaching work as your project. It's um, based on principle, but it's an open an open structure. So yeah, the so exactly. so you're trying to teach the the right principles, so to say. But uh, then the way that each uh, student will take further on, it's uh, um, their own. Um, and, yeah. and and I mentioned you you're doing also your your PhD. You told me when we met. Uh, can you mention what is it about? What are you researching? Uh, in which direction you're um, educating yourself furthermore? Principles. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I will. Uh, I will try to. I'm, I'm trying to dissect uh, the work of three architects and and to discover the principles by which they work, whether they know. The these principles are not uh, well this is not the point for me the point is to find uh, the principles in their architecture then uh, as I've always already started working more or less uh, I think there are common common things between these principles and I think that these common common sides they are uh, what is common for the architecture of our time uh, probably these uh, common issues common principles will be uh, will will be really the the zeitgeist of uh, of, of architecture today what, what, are, what I hope. who are these three architects can you name them which or which one are, are they bulgarian or international no 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 i I chose three uh, architects who are one of my favorites, and they're not Bulgarian. They're uh, David Chipperfield, Christian Keretz, and Ken Gukuma. And uh, yeah, they they look really different at first sight, but uh, what unites them in in the very first instance instance is that I like the the work of the three of them, and. Uh, they more or less uh, are connected to this generic design, which is very, uh, I think, which is very important today. And, and um, more and more the design is turning to this uh, generic uh, state. Uh, it's kind of uh, design which is out of time. It's, it's timeless in a way and and i think the three of them create this type of architecture it's up to date when you see it it's absolutely up contemporary architecture but at the same time it looks as though it has always been there it's, it looks as though it's very very old ancient and, and so on things like that and um, as somebody that's now it's um, has this established architectural studio and uh, you and your husband are also in the academical world. You're very active. Um, is there ever been a plan, maybe futurely, to write a book and publish a book or something in that direction about because about principles? Because, for example, one of my best um, foundations of my education in Rome was that the first semester when you started... Um, designing buildings the the first year uh beside designing this this small project we needed to design we had to read uh three books 
which weren't like uh, monographies. There were books from, we had from, of course, like Corbusier, from Miss van der Rohe, from other Italian architects, which have written their, written their principles down. And then we, sh we had to sum up like um, what we have understood from those principles. So I'm curious, is, 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 it, is there a possibility or in the back of your mind somehow in the future to write uh, the book, which is uh, like your really architectural principles? Uh, well, not that kind of book, actually. But uh, we have a book which is finished by, let's say, 90%. And uh, it has been in this state uh, since, I don't know, for, for four or five years. Uh, these ten percent are really very difficult to to finish, and and <laughs> as time passes, uh, there are new projects and and the things that are in the book become outdated more or less. But uh, we gave us a word, the entire office, uh, that uh, we are going to finish it probably this year. Uh, but who knows? So we we have a book. It's yeah, again, it's about principles because uh, we are interested in principles and each of our projects has a lot of principles in it. Uh, but it's a book about ourselves. So an architect is uh, very egocentric. So we like to, to talk about ourselves, and to write books about us. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's also why a lot of the people that I invite to the podcast are happy to participate because it's a lot about them. And uh, I'm very excited that uh, there might be a book this year from you. So whenever it's out, I'll, I'll for sure buy it and uh, then um, come by in your uh, Sofian office and get uh, an autograph from you and, uh, and, and Plamen. Um, I want to. I don't want to take any more time away from your early day and from from your summer evening. Uh, I want to finish our conversation by asking you. I try to to do a little bit of a toolbox of inspiration. I like to call it with ideas from our guests. So I ask everybody of our guests if they have some uh, favorite. Um, you don't have to mention a, a, something from each categories, but some uh, movie or book or place or song that uh, in some point of their creative career has come up to their mind and has somehow changed them or pushed them forward or where they come back some once in a while to gather a little bit of fresh energies. Hmm. Mm. Well, it's, it's really difficult to say because uh, because they're changing through the years uh yeah things that uh, that were really mm, amazing for me when i was younger now are not really so much interesting and uh, probably i changed my interests through time or probably uh these uh, these pieces of art that that i meet uh they have played their role in a way. Uh, now I'm really fascinated from Anthony Gormley. Uh, I like what, what he's doing a lot. Uh, Modigliani is as well, really. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're different and, and they're more or less the same. 
Uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult to say, really, because I have to connect them with architecture. That's why uh, when I read books, I, I just read books. It's, it's not always architecture. I see. Well, then, um, Rosita, thank you very much for, for the conversation and for your free time that you have uh, uh, spent, that you have stolen from other things to spend it with me for this conversation. Uh, in, the, in the links of this podcast, I will be putting uh, links to, to projects that have been published in Arc Daily and to your website and to your Instagram so that uh, people can go and enjoy your work. And um, thank you very much and have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. It was a big pleasure for me. Thank you, Georgi. Bye-bye. Bye. The whole world stops just like that. Hey, friends. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. You've been amazing. Before we go, I just want to remind you that if you want to support us, you can just go on the creativeinsider.com where uh, you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter or you can follow us on our social media channels, which are Instagram at TCI Podcast or the LinkedIn page, The Creative Insider. Uh, by doing this, you will have a bigger social media presence, which always looks attractive to more and more important guests and so this is very fundamental and if you really love what we do and you want to help us doing a better production just click on the patreon link below where you can support us with the wished amount of money you think it's okay for you uh, it's a monthly subscription but you can cancel anytime so thank you very much and have a good week guys bye bye